Hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to another Wednesday show with Dr. Kelly Victory. And today our guest is Dr. Naomi Wolf. Uh, Naomi Wolf was the author of The Beauty Myth. She was uh, one of the leaders of uh, one of the waves of feminist movement and has more recently been banned by social media and ostracized by her peers. She chronicles a lot of this misadventure in this book, which I enjoyed reading immensely. I recommend it highly. We're going to discuss it. I'm becoming increasingly, which I'm going to tell Naomi, interested in these sort of almost diary-like re-examinations of what we went through. I think we're all starting to look back now and go, what, what, what? Come on now. Um, of course, um, she's been in the eye of the hurricane quite a bit. She has um, had taken some positions that have been controversial. Some have been right, some have been wrong, like many of us. Uh, I myself, let me say clearly that I advocate for the vaccine. I give it on a regular basis. I just did it again this morning with an elderly patient. Uh, I use Paxlovid on a regular basis as well. Uh, I have concerns for 17-year-old males, for instance, and the interval in between the two vaccines we're giving. There's lots of things to talk about, and we should be discussing all of these things. And I'm open to hearing other concerns as well, because this was something that we all know was rushed to market in the fog of war. And now, just now, they're starting to blame the—literally today, starting to blame the Trump administration for the speed with which it was brought to market. So we'll talk about that and more. Let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, everybody. We are on multiple platforms today. Uh, Twitter Spaces, I see you over there. Today, I'm probably not going to get to any calls. Between the three of us, there's a lot of talking that's going to be uh, <laughs> undertaken here. So we uh, it, we might get some calls, but it's not likely. A reminder that tomorrow we'll be doing calls only. So Twitter Spaces at 3 o'clock tomorrow, calls only. I believe next Wednesday is Dr. Robert Malone. Is that correct, uh, Caleb? Is that who's coming yes, up next? Yes, that's Wednesday? correct. Or do we have that secured One week yet? from now. That is correct. And I want to remind people, if you do want to interact with us here on the uh, on camera, I am watching uh, the Rumble rants. You can go over to Rumble slash Dr. Drew or just Rumble Dr. Drew. And also on the Restream uh, uh, chat, which is for Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, you can uh, express yourself there. I try to keep tabs on it. Susan watches it all very carefully. Obviously, I have other things I'm doing here at the same time. Uh, if I if we do not respond to something you put there you'd like us to, I apologize ahead of time. We're doing the best we can. So let me first welcome Dr. Naomi Wolf. Uh, Naomi is a friend. Naomi is somebody I've admired for many years. Uh, her writing is second to none. Her thinking is clear. 
she has been a freedom fighter for a long time, initially in the name of, I guess it would be third wave feminism, Naomi, or second wave feminism, uh, and now in the name of uh, excesses brought upon us through the public health system. But this has been the the movement, this has been your effort that has caused you to be ostracized by a community in which you were, a, amongst which you were a leader. And that story is fascinating to me. So welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Drew. And uh, I consider you and Susan friends as well. And it's an honor to be speaking with you again. And so would, would we call you a second or third wave feminist? What do you, do you, do you push away those labels or can we, can we even <laughs> use them anymore? No, they're, they're useful for kind of, uh, historical overviews. Um, I guess I'm called a third wave feminism, uh, but you know, yeah. there's fourth and fifth waves now um, doing all kinds of exciting yes. things. So it's it's fun to be in the flow of flow of the generations. It's interesting to me that most of the third wave feminists I know have been uh, at least scrutinized, if not marginalized, <laughs> which is so weird to me. Uh, you know, the people who are really fighting, you know, fighting their way uh, forward. The beauty myth, of course, again, is the is her uh, sentinel book. So The Bodies of Others. Uh, I really enjoyed reading it. I felt like I was there with you as you went through these experiences. I, I uh, this the more sort of diary-like revisiting of this piece of history, I think is gonna be historically extremely important. And I thought you did a good job of that. Can, can you tell us, I guess we'll start with what motivated you to write the book. Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I kind of feel like this whole trajectory of having been kind of ostracized by the community where I was indeed considered a thought leader, um, being so marginalized now, deplatformed on platform after platform. It's a little surreal to me, Dr. Drew, because I'm literally doing what I've done for 35 years. Um, I'm just being a journalist and I'm just speaking up for the Constitution. Uh, so, Basically, The Bodies of Others picks up where The End of America left off. That was a 2008 book in which I pointed out that when would-be dictators are trying to close down an open society, they always take the same 10 steps, um, whether they're on the left or the right. And we were seeing some of those uh, steps being taken in Bush's America. Um, and the last the last step is step 10, which is the declaration of emergency law. So as a result, when the pandemic hit in 2020 and by March or April of 2020 uh, in, in New York State where I live, Governor Cuomo had declared emergency law, I realized very quickly that this was not a simple public health emergency and that in fact it was, and this is the argument of the bodies of others, it the pandemic provided a pretext for a handful of bad actors to really engage in a massive power grab against um, humanity and to try to reorder uh, the world and especially to disempower human beings in relation to tech oligarchs, in relation to pharma, in relation to the Chinese Communist Party, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, this loose alliance of negative entities who really acted in lockstep. Um, and very quickly, I realized that a lot of these policies that in retrospect seem so insane medically, and that early on I was calling out as insane medically, uh, ranging from <clears throat> lockdowns, and the data are in, the Wall Street Journal just ran a, a brand new op-ed, they do it periodically, the data are in showing that closed states like California did just the same as open states like Florida, 
um, and the data are in that masks barely make a difference. Uh, the, you know, the data are in that children suffered more from uh, being kept from school than they were ever at risk from COVID. Um, but all of these policies actually do have something in common. They were very effective at um, what I think was the goal all along, a massive uh, transfer of assets, billions of dollars went from mom and pop shops that were forced to stay closed to um, Amazon and um, and Etsy and their tech competitors, and billions of dollars. You know, when people are not allowed to gather in person, to worship in person, to go to school in person, to go to town halls in person, all these tech platforms. And I'm a tech CEO now, so I really do understand this. Um, where you're living your life now, you know for the two and a half years that human contact was forbidden or made difficult or you know, almost impossible to communicate, um, they're up 20 to 23% net revenue over the last two years. And, and lastly, um, what, what I really argue in the bodies of others is that there are things human beings do that machines can't compete with, like smile and express emotion, like communicate verbally, uh, tell a story, make people fall in love, inspire each other, create culture. Those are the things that were suppressed during the pandemic. And these bad actors, you know, use the pandemic and then a rollout of uh, this nefarious mRNA vaccine, which I can speak about more if you like, um, as a gateway to a CCP style a social credit system. They tried to do it. They did it in Israel. They rolled it out in Europe, the Green Pass. They, they did it here in New York State. And the, the goal was to surveil and control us. You're talking about the, the vaccine passports. Yes? Yes. Yeah. The, yes. The, I, I spoke to a, a young gentleman yesterday about this very issue and, and really what the African-American community was what was done to them as a result of being ostracized like that. I mean, it was just an incredible, and, and, and why people are not taking responsibility for that, looking at that, examining it, maybe thinking, gosh, we made a mistake, nothing. The, the, one of the things that, that troubles me is there's no active looking back, I don't think. Is there? I, it doesn't feel like people are looking back and trying to analyze what happened. Now, I understand you're, you're pointing at a motivated group that's, that had these, feel like they perhaps feel as though they didn't do anything wrong or got to the ends that they were looking for. But there certainly are lots of participants that must be questioning what happened, and yet we don't really see it. No, I mean, it depends on where you spend your time. I think America has been um, cloven in two, essentially, by this experience, and half of America um, is getting a completely different information stream. Uh, the red states, conservatives, libertarians, and I'm a lifelong Democrat, right? So this is a little weird for me, but they um, are pretty sane and they got pretty good information throughout. And to their credit, people like Tucker Carlson, uh, The War Room, which gives me a platform regularly, um, people I never thought I'd be talking to because I come from a very different world, they've been covering the craziness and the damage and the psychotic aspects of these lockdowns, these masks, and now these injections. Um, and, and, and half of the country really cares about freedom uh, and really cares about the constitution and realized right away or very soon, this is an assault. You know, what do you mean I can't assemble with more than six people? The first amendment says I can assemble. You know, what do you mean Twitter is going to clear people off the platform? You know, the first amendment gives us certain freedoms. Um, but moving on to the people that I know and love, they're in the blue states, they're in the big cities, and they're getting their information from CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times. 
and, and I have a chapter in my book, The Bodies of Others, about how millions of dollars went from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and later from the CARES Act to buy up a lot of legacy news outlets to lie to people. Um, for instance, you know, right now we're we're doing a lot of reporting on uh, harms to pregnancy and harms to to childbirth. And the New York Times over and over and over would say it's safe and effective, safe and effective. And I kept saying to a Porva Mondavili, where is the study? Because there was no study. And I knew that as a many decades long reporter on women's health. Um, but the New York Times took the money and and lied. I mean, there's no nice way to say it. NPR took the money and lied. The BBC took the money and lied. So in that half of America, people are still kind of um, ill-informed and only waking up slowly to how badly our society has been damaged. Yeah, Dr. Victor and I have uh, been talk, obviously talking to people that have controversial opinions, but one of the things we're realizing is, <clears throat> one consensus we always find is, more science please, more good science please, that's what everybody wants, we wanna be able to really assess these things, and that it's clear that the public health world made a decision to get to the vaccine uber alice get to the vaccine get to a vaccine that that is our policy and so anything that got in the way of the vaccine act you know the getting to that vaccine and then rolling out that vaccine was extremely dangerous to this this you know this uber alice uh, opinion and along the way we have learned, which I didn't realize until now, that the fiat authority of public health, as specified by constitutions, both state and federal, is excessive. And we have to do right. something about that because it's, it's. I hope somebody is willing to legislate or something because there should be some ability to kind of address the excesses, that, that they are not, it, it just, I can't think of any circumstance where that kind of fiat would be appropriate. I hope this experience we've all had kind of showed us that, but let's bring Dr. Victory in now to, to get on with this conversation. Of course, Dr. Kelly Victory is an ER doctor. She's uh, someone who is uh, very has very strong feelings about all these things, and she joins me every Wednesday, and she's here now with us, Dr. Victory. So I'll hand it over to you, Kelly, a little bit to see if you have any um, sort of opening questions for uh, Naomi. Well, there's so many things I want to talk with you about, Naomi. Um, I have been preaching about the debacle uh, of this pandemic response from the very, very beginning. Everything from the uh, fallacy of masks to the made-up construct of social distancing, the damage that was predictable from the lockdowns, uh, and on and on. The devastating impact on children and their uh, everything from their delay and ability to speak to the uh, sort of disastrous results of keeping keeping them out of school in general and on and on. Drew and I have talked at great length about the vaccines and I have been a huge critic of the vaccines, not because I'm anti-vaccine, by the way, quite the opposite. It's these particular vaccines that are problematic and the total lack of safety data uh, that was behind them. One of the things that I raised an alarm bell about um, really a year and a half ago was concerns on my part about potential impact on pregnancy, specifically as a scientist, because of the overlap of a specific protein that's found on the spike protein of COVID that is very, very similar, almost identical to a critical protein that's involved in the development uh, and formation of a placenta. It's called Synctin-1. And my concern was that if you got injected with these vaccines, you would develop, as 
the, the plan was to develop antibodies to the spike protein and that you therefore would potentially be developing antibodies to the placenta. Um, now, lo and behold, we are seeing some very, very alarming data about that. And I really want to hear about how it is that you went down that road specifically of all of the adverse events related to these vaccine, and they are many, it's a long list from which to choose, um, but how it is that you went down that particular line and, and what it was that, uh, that led you to it. And by the way, the one of the interesting line. things that, it, you know, that's happening today is that because I, I've noticed on Twitter what's gone viral is there's some article on AP, I think it was, that they're being critical of the Trump administration rushing the vaccines through the FDA and through to market. Now you can say these things now. because they're ready to hang it now. on Trump, which I don't care. I don't care who, as long as we can talk honestly about our concerns and just discuss these mm -hmm. possibilities. But now we can, it looks like, because that is going very viral just this, this very day. But go ahead, Naomi. Oh, God, this is so hideously predictable. Well, let, and, you know, I don't mean that in a partisan way. I just mean that I think that um, the various very credible critics who are bringing forward very good scientific evidence about the harms, especially to women and babies and fetuses, are making an impact. I think the 3,500 experts that uh, I convened at Daily Clout uh, with the War Room's help, um, physicians, RNs, biostatisticians, medical fraud investigators, lab clinicians who have been going through the 55,000 a month Pfizer documents released under court order and issuing reports about what's in them. And they've been doing detailed work on pregnancy and um, reproductive harms in general. And, and we're seeing a 360 degree attack on human reproduction in the Pfizer documents. I think that's having an impact. Um, and and as a result, you know, we're seeing recently the CDC backpedaling, Dr. Fauci resigning, and now the AP blaming President Trump. So now to answer um, Dr. Victory's question, you know, as I said to uh, Dr. Drew, uh, I'm not doing anything I haven't done for 35 years. So I've written two bestsellers about women's reproductive health. One is called Misconceptions, and it was about childbirth, and one is called Vagina, and it was about female sexuality. So I kind of know my way around, you know, basic female biology, and I care about women's health. I'm a feminist. Um, well, so to me, you know, when over a year ago I was hearing uh, eyewitness accounts of women saying I'm having horrible menstrual problems, well, Dr. Victory, that's not rocket science. You know, if women are having two periods a month or, you know, casting of their uterine lining or postmenopausal women are bleeding or 10-year-old girls start to bleed right after they've been injected with the mRNA vaccine, something is wrong. And I'm an English major and, and I know that. I know that a healthy, a healthy menstrual cycle is a key sign of women's fertility and women's health. Um, and then I have this group of experts now, and I ask them to look at uh, pregnancy and lactation because mm -hmm. I could tell you a year ago if that many women were having problems with their menstruation. By the way, now a Freedom of Information Act request showed that the CDC was colluding at the highest levels with Twitter officials to deplatform and smear me um, for, for that very tweet in which I said, this bears further investigation. Um, over a year later, many studies have confirmed that the injections disrupt women's menstrual health. And we have a new report in the Pfizer uh, research uh, 
team documents up by Dr. Robert Chandler, who's treated the Lakers, treated the Angels, highly respected, highly published sports medicine physician, um, showing that there are like 25 categories of menstrual harms in the Pfizer documents. And, and not only that, but that out of the adverse events, uh, 16% of them are identified by Pfizer as reproductive disorders related to women versus 0.49% of the adverse events for men being identified by Pfizer as reproductive disorders. And I can go into detail about additional harms that our team has found specifically to the placenta, to uh, to the ovaries, to uh, gestation, exactly related to the issues that, that you identified, um, although you're adding a new piece of it, um, if you want me to to identify the, the mechanisms we let, found let, that are causing miscarriages. Well, let me, let, let me do let this. Me, let, go ahead. Finish your thought, Kelly. I was just saying, what, well, I just want to interject, you know, because we, and we've talked about this on the show before, never in the history of medicine, I've been a practicing physician more than 30 years, never in the history of medicine have we given a therapeutic, a vaccine, any type of intervention on a group of people on whom that thing has never been tested. These vaccines were never tested on pregnant women, lactating women, women of childbearing age, and a lot of other groups. Yet they went out, they marched it out there and said, safe and effective, with no data behind that. It simply didn't exist. Furthermore, we know from the documents that came out of uh, from Pfizer well before it was ever launched that they knew that these yeah. that the mRNA went that 11% of it specifically based out of that Japanese study, that 11% of it ended up in the testes and ovaries. So I know Drew wants to get in here, but just as a, as a sort of baseline for people to understand, this was information with yeah. regard to where the mRNA landed that was well known by Pfizer before the vaccines were launched to the public. And, and before we, I'm going to go to break, I'm going to go to break. I want you guys to hold your thoughts. I'm, I'm going to throw a little, uh, lighter fluid on this also and push back by saying, Hmm, you know, this was the fog of war. We, they took, they made a conscious effort for vaccine ubralis. I, I know roll your eyes all you want, but I'm going to take this position. And, and clearly they were going to take risks to roll out this vaccine way more risk than we would normally take. That was clear in their philosophy, if not their actual stated policy, vaccine, uber out. So there's going to be problems with a vaccine that you push out that fast. And it's pretty easy to cause reproductive irregularities, menstrual irregularities in women with something that has sort of protein effects on the body, right? I mean, any medication can do that. I, the vaccine fucked me up good. I was a mess. If I were a woman, I sure my, I'm sure my menstrual periods would have been off for quite a while just from how sick it made me. So uh, I'll give you guys a chance. Oh, yeah, this is a picture of my, I don't even think this, Dr. Victory. That is my raccoon eye. I had unilateral raccoon eye, woke up the morning sick as hell with that, you know, looking in the mirror. And that is the, that's the Johnson & Johnson vaccine for which the great uh, untoward effect was a transverse sinus thrombosis in the central nervous system. And the presenting feature is unilateral raccoon eye. So I looked in the mirror, thought I'm going to be the only male to have gotten this complication. How embarrassing, but here we go. And so, uh, but be that as it may, I'm going to take a break. And then I want to give you guys a chance to get into the, I know you're going to get into the specific mechanisms and really go to town on this, but I'm just giving that kind of general pushback 
on, you know, there were some risks taken. There really were. And, and there's no doubt about it. We should be looking at an adjusting course. I, I, my, my fear and concern still uh, rest in the cardiac pathology and particularly in the young males and why are we giving the vaccine so close together and why we really, why the, again, it's the bureaucratization, the centralization of a decision-making that's making it this way. But we'll talk about that. Be right back after the break. I think we have found the holy grail of skincare. Genucel has absolutely changed, certainly my skincare regimen. I like that vitamin C serum, the under eye creams, skin nourishing primer. Susan loves the eyelash enhancers, uses it on her eyebrows as well. Genucel has everything to make us both feel and look amazing. Best part, the quality of the products. Using pure ingredients like antioxidants, copper peptides, and a proprietary calendula flower base, Genucel knows how to formulate products to perfection without irritation. For Susan, she hates that annoying dry area under nose during allergy season, like right here. She's tried everything, but no matter what, the skin is flaky and dry. Nothing seemed to help until she started using Genucel's Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer. Soaked right into the skin. She was hooked after one use and now loves all of their products as well. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because... It's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Right now, you can try Genucel's most popular collection of products and see what I'm talking about for yourself. Go to genucel.com and enter code DREW for 10% off. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com and the code is D-R-E-W. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. So uh, there's an internist on Twitter, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, I believe his name is. Let me double check that. Yeah, who very kindly uh, put up the ACOG uh, COVID-19 vaccine and pre pregnancy guidelines. And uh, the ACOG position is that they are safe and effective, essentially. Uh, and vaccines can be done anytime, any trimester. Uh, let's see, as soon as possible to maximize maternal and fetal health. Uh, go ahead, guys. Yeah, let me take that and let me push. I'm going to push back to your pushing back respectfully, Dr. Drew. Um, you know, I have a really privileged position having seen these Pfizer documents and working with them every day with these 3,500 experts. And one of the first things that emerges from the Pfizer documents that, again, Pfizer thought would never be made public and that the FDA asked uh, the court to keep hidden for 75 years is that Pfizer knew by November of 2020 that the vaccines did not work. So to, they had vaccine failure, failure of efficacy. The third most common side effect in the Pfizer documents is COVID. So um, to, to Dr. Victory's point of a risk-benefit analysis, uh, there's, there's no way that you can justify giving these injections to pregnant women, even with warp speed, even Uber Alice, because they, they knew they did not work and they didn't inform the rest of the world till April of 2021 that there would be waning efficacy. Um, now I want to go to the mechanism, if I may. Uh, 
for ACOG to say that is um, unconscionable. It's, I'm going to say it's like the early thirties in Nazi Germany when before the Nazis and I'm Jewish and I lost many relatives um, in my grandparents' generation to the Holocaust. So I don't see this lightly, but in the early thirties, the national socialists enlisted um, professional uh, doctors organizations to lead the charge to kind of um, validate Nazi ideology and to create a discourse of life worthy of life, life unworthy of life. And for the for ACOG to say that um, is 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 hideous of that scale of crimes against humanity. Here's why. The, we'll see. the statement we'll, see. statement of the, well let me give you my evidence, please. I mean as a okay. woman this is really important. As a mother, it's so important. Okay. The the statement that it was safe and effective, as Dr. Victory noted, it wasn't based on any studies involving pregnant women. Pregnant women were excluded from the trials. Right. The statement that it was safe and effective for pregnant women was based on a study of 44 French rats followed for 42 days. The baby rats were sacrificed in, in utero. They weren't allowed to get born so that the scientists could assess if they were developing normally, eating, thriving. And the scientists and doctors concluded that the fetal rats were fine. Um, those scientists and doctors were employees and shareholders of Pfizer. In the Pfizer documents, there's a section that shows that 270 women got pregnant nonetheless, even though they were excluded from the trials. Uh, Pfizer lost the records of 232 of them, of the 38 women whose records uh Pfizer followed to conclusion, which they're supposed to do for all of them by law, 28 of those mothers lost their babies. 28 of 32 of them lost their babies. Um, we now know the mechanism. As I mentioned, Dr. Robert Chandler uh, broke down the uh, biodistribution, which confirms what Dr. Victory referenced, a uh, Japanese Pfizer biodistribution study of over a year ago that shows indeed that the uh, materials don't stay in the injection site, though all the you know, spokesmodels swore that they did, um, but in fact, they travel to throughout the body within 15 minutes and concentrate especially in the liver, the adrenals, the spleen, and the ovaries. But what Dr. Chandler found is that in the 48 hours of, that this experiment lasted, and why did they cut it off at 48 hours, right? Why didn't they go on for a week or two weeks or three weeks? In the ovaries, the lipid nanoparticles and the spike protein and the mRNA just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate like 1800 times, um, you know, in the ovaries. And what I want to say is lipid nanoparticles are designed to cross every membrane in the human body. They were designed to cross the blood brain barrier and bring medicine to tumors of people with brain tumors. But, you know, healthy women who are pregnant uh, were assured that this uh, material could not affect their baby. But in fact, a, a 2018 study out of China, and China shows up a lot in, in alliance with this, with Pfizer's um, uh, manufacturing and distribution, um, they knew that lipid nanoparticles accumulate in the ovaries, accumulate in the testes, and affect reproduction. So what you're getting is some lipid nanoparticles and spike protein with the first injection, more in the second injection more in the booster, more in the second booster. And we don't see any mechanism whereby this material leaves the ovaries. And now let me quickly say one more thing that's been discovered by my team. As I mentioned, lipid nanoparticles traverse every membrane in the human body. They're getting into the epididymis. They're getting into the testes. They're affecting, uh, you know, andrology showed they, they drop sperm count, they drop sperm motility. But what they're doing to women 
is that they traverse the placenta. They traverse the placenta. And right before I got on this podcast, uh, Dr. Jim Thorpe, who's a, a gynecologist obstetrician, showed what he's seeing over and over and over these days, uh, which is images of placentas riddled with calcifications, riddled with calcifications. And so these placentas are compromised. And again, I'm an English major, but if you've got lipid nanoparticles traversing the placenta, it's getting into the amniotic fluid, it's getting into the fetal environment, and you and you are you are compromising the environment of the baby. And, and the last thing I'm going to say is that anecdotally, nurses are saying that they're inducing labor these days because it's too unsafe for vaccinated moms to give birth naturally because they're having placental uh, problems, placental rupture. The placenta is not intact. And if you're going to send a, a, a product through the body that, by the way, is covered in polyethylene glycol, which is a petroleum byproduct, and it's getting into breast milk, which I can talk about if you like, poisoning babies of vaccinated moms. But if you're going to send lipid nanoparticles through the body, you're compromising the placenta, which is the most important membrane that God created to protect the baby. So now we've got a baby die off. Um, the, you know, infant mortality, neonatal mortality is up 200 percent in Scotland, up 34 percent in a hospital in Haifa. It's uh, it's up to 86 neonatal deaths in in Ontario, where usually they have five or six and birth rates around the world now um, are are have dropped in many countries 20%. So that is my wrap up of why in spite of the rush, what was done to, to mothers and babies is a massive crime. Let me interject here. Yeah, Naomi Drew and I actually did an entire show, really, which had been, I guess, four four weeks ago or so now, about lipid nanoparticles and my significant oh, wow. concerns about lipid nanoparticles specifically because they have known for decades, well over a decade, if you look back at the studies on the damage that can be done by the lipid nanoparticle itself. This is independent, by the way, of any damage from the mRNA, uh, from the spike protein, and on and on. The lipid nanoparticles themselves are toxic to tissues and clearly interrupt uh, hormone levels. And as you said, cross the, the blood-brain barrier, they cross the, cross the placental barrier, and they get into places where they can be very, very damaging. Um, secondly, again, I always get back to my risk uh, you know, benefit analysis. And again, my pushback to Drew, regardless of their fervor to get this thing out there, is the reality is young, healthy women of childbearing age are at an extraordinarily low risk from a bad outcome from COVID. So it'd be one, yeah. we aren't talking about smallpox people. We we're talking about COVID. We we're talking about something that profoundly impacted the elderly and the infirm, but not young, healthy people. So could a pregnant woman get COVID? Sure, she can get a cold as well. She can get influenza as well. Uh, so there was, I would say that there was no huge rush to get vaccines uh, into the arms of young, healthy women of childbearing age. And then lastly, and correct me if I'm wrong, Naomi, but that study, pathetic as it was with the rats that were looked at for a total of 42 days gestation, uh, they found subsequent to that that those uh, rat fetuses actually had anomalies of the ribs. They actually had bony deformities. Uh, I just read this study that showed bone deformities, and they failed to report that. When in the history of medicine have we done a study on a therapeutic, on a drug, 
and thought that a bone deformity of the developing fetus was not something worthy of reporting. Uh, it's gotten very, very little press. And I personally just read the study myself uh, within the past week or so, but, but really concerning. So the question is this, you know, where do we go with this? You have been censored. You've been, you know, shut down on this. You're not, you know, people have questioned your actual data over and over again. They want to split hairs on whether it was, you know, 28 out of 32, or was it 17 out of 32? And I would submit that, not that it doesn't matter because I am probably the most data-driven person you, you ever meet. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is the larger point is clearly there is something going on. We know, and I reported on it previously, that the birth rates around the around the globe are down. Some places like Taiwan down something like 23%. Um, these are alarming numbers. So we it deserves a deep dive analysis. Where are we taking this? Where is your work going and from before, here? Before Naomi answer that, let me give a little good-natured pushback here because we're having a very good, lively conversation on Twitter. There's some professionals coming in, uh, pulling up papers for us that, that have a different point of view. Uh, Dr. Gonzalez has been very vocal here as an internist, ER guy. And uh, Dr. Gonzalez, the paper you pr presented here from the New England Journal of Medicine, obviously I can't read these things carefully, but that's not a that's not a research paper. That's an opinion. It's an opinion piece. Um, yeah, yeah, hold on. And then I have a PhD in there who's going to pull up a bunch of resources for me that are uh, supposedly going to give us, there she is. Uh, yeah, this is that New England Journal again. Uh, let me read this again. It's preliminary findings on vaccine safety in pregnant women. This is I, I read this some time ago. This was from October 2021, and it was it was not that great a study. But let me look at it again. Uh, and it's really just a letter to the editor, my dear. It's not even a study. This is the thing. You need the studies. Uh, this is Catherine Wallace, PhD. That is a letter to the editor. That is not a medical research study. So if you guys could pull up the actual studies, not opinion pieces, not letters to the editor, I'm happy to bring them into the conversation here. But uh, I, I, Naomi, I, I will have know. you. Yeah. Go ahead. Sure. You I'm know? not sure what she's referencing. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's referencing um, what I was talking about or what Dr. Victory was talking about, but I'm referencing the Pfizer documents. And um, I know I understand. I understand. But what, what I'm getting on Twitter, what we're getting is there's other sources of literature than the Pfizer documents, which everyone understands that is true. Uh, that is been sort of real time literature that's coming out as this vaccine has been rolled out. I, most of what I've seen has been kind of, confusing and weak but you have to give me the actual research not opinion pieces or letters to the editor uh but naomi where do we go from here on you oh well that's easy i mean these experts have written over 30 reports um and they are all on dailycloud.io and all of the citations to the primary source documents are in the reports um so i believe in evidence and i believe in documentation i do want to acknowledge um that one of our volunteers did make an error about a week ago uh and she did count as you referenced dr victory um uh, 30 she counted 44% of the miscarriages in that section of the pfizer documents um and she had miscounted uh and other people looking at that section of the pfizer documents have seen 12 out of 58 uh 12, 11 out of 60, uh, 11 out of 88, depending on how you slice that very opaque document. But, you know, acknowledging that, and we immediately corrected it, um, let me direct you to a report that we have up since May of 2022 that shows 
um, 78% of the babies of the fetuses died, uh, you know, in another section of the Pfizer documents. And that was confirmed by Dr. Pierre Corey looking at the same section and he reached over 80%. And again, let me just note as a woman, um, you know, Dr. Chandler's latest shows 75% of the adverse events in women of, of the adverse events. It's 16% defined by Pfizer as reproductive disorder. This is Pfizer's words. Um, so I agree with these critics. You know, I go to the primary sources. Don't take my word for it. Look at the primary sources. Look at the Pfizer documents. I haven't even gotten to lactation. But in the um, pandemic with vaccinated mothers, uh, lactation went from 34% of mothers to uh, 14%. And in the Pfizer documents, it shows that polyethylene glycol is getting into breast milk. Because, of course, breast milk is made up of lymph and blood. It's supported by lymph and blood. And so the polyethylene glycol, which is in, in, in antifreeze, right, it's a, a petroleum byproduct. A, an NIH study showed that there's polyethylene glycol in breast milk. And four of the women in the Pfizer documents who are nursing mothers, their breast milk turned blue-green. And it shows that at least one baby who was nursing from a vaccinated mother went into seizures and actually passed away. Um, and there are other adverse events that have been reported in an NIH study for babies nursing from breast milk and also in the Pfizer documents. You can see the same adverse events, babies going into uh, agitation, sleeplessness, failure to thrive, failure to gain weight. Understandable, their only food has a petroleum byproduct in it. Um, so that's something I, I think deserves a huge amount more study because, of course, children's immunities are laid down by colostrum and by, you know, nursing, ideally, from a healthy mother. And the last thing I'm going to say to say I am, you know, whatever, you know, whatever blowback there may be, I am not going to stop directing this team of experts to look for what's happening to mothers and babies because the signals are coming in from all over the world. And as a cultural critic, I just have to note that there was an article in, I think, the Huffington Post or the Daily Beast, uh, you know, just a pop culture article saying, what color is your menstrual cycle now? And it said, you know, dark red, red, brown, all of those are normal colors for menstrual blood. It also said, if your menstrual blood is green or gray, see a doctor. And that is a new thing. You know, that is a new thing in this world. So there is something wrong. They're ruining mothers and babies. They're ruining reproduction. Um, and, and we're seeing the, the impacts already. And here's where, what I would, where, where I would go with this for a second here, Drew, is because you can always count on me to say the, uh, the edgier, the dicier thing here. Uh, number one, Naomi, I feel your passion for this. I, it comes across loud and clear and I respect it. Um, pregnancy and the sanctity of pregnancy is an emotional topic for a lot of people. And, and I, understand why. And I will just throw out there um, with, you know, with the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade and the idea that the decision and the, about the uh, legality and availability of abortion is going to be thrown to the states rather than to the federal government. I promise you, if there is one woman who is, uh, ends up, is coerced or ends up having a baby that she doesn't want because of her difficulty availing herself of a termination or an abortion, we will hear about it until the end of time. But if a thousand or a hundred or 12 women end up losing a baby that they did want, 
we're supposed to chalk that up to, well, it's just, you know, we were in the heat of the war, you know, it was the moment, it was the, the virus and we needed a vaccine. And all I'm suggesting is that people apply their outrage equivalently. Um, if, if you respect pregnancy and you respect that that is a choice, that women's bodies are their own, then respect it going both ways and understand the enormity of what we are suggesting if these vaccines, in fact, do interrupt pregnancy, do cause someone to lose a child or, you know, as importantly, be unable to conceive a child that they want. Well, what well do we do put. with the, hang on a second. I, I, I wanted to ask about the MMR, MMWR uh, report that uh, they have uh, by their summary, 40,000, over 40,000 pregnant women vaccinated during pregnancy, not associated with preterm birth or small for gestational age at birth, stratified by trimester of vaccination, et cetera. Uh, what we're, you know, they, that's a lot of data coming in. What do you make of that? I have to see that study. Um, I'd, I'd love to see it. Send it to me. Uh, what I can tell okay. you is that the only other major study I've seen of pregnancy is the V-Safe study. I'm not sure if you're talking about the same study. Um, and they, they claimed initially a number like that. But if you follow it all the way through, which I did very carefully, you find that um, they lost about 3,000 women. And that actually V-Safe, which is run by the CDC, was a phone app. And women were disproportionately um, healthcare workers, so they were dis disproportionately white and educated about health, educated about pregnancy, and affluent, um, were compared to you know the average woman. Uh, and that uh, okay, thank you very much. I'll take a look at that. But that the VSafe study made led you to self-report to like a not to a doctor or a clinic, but to like a call center, you were supposed to call them if you had a spontaneous abortion. You were supposed to enter it on your app if you, you know, had a miscarriage and lost your baby. Unsurprisingly, thousands of women dropped out of this. And I think they ended with less than a thousand women out of the, you know, multiple, multiple thousands who had had started the process. So that's not a study in my view. That is um that is not a study. And even so, they ended up with a slightly higher uh, miscarriage rate than um, than is standard. So I'll take a look at that. But I guess what I would like to say is, um, you know, what criteria? And also what I'd like to say as a woman is leaving, you know, leaving that question open, because I don't think we've concluded uh I mean, these different data sets are showing very different outcomes, right? And this, the Pfizer documents are mm -hmm. a raw data set. Mm -hmm. They never thought they would see the light of day. But leaving all of that aside, the, you know, look at Dr. Chandler's report of over 20 new categories of horrible things that happen to women regarding their menses. Horrible things. Like one whole separate category is two periods in one 30-day cycle. I've never even heard of that before, right? Painful periods. Wait, wait, wait. That's just irregular men. That's just irregular. It happens all the time. That's just irregular men. Just irregular you, you, you can you, get. No, no, no. Yeah. That's, can't we normal. All agree? that's can actually be... normal. But can't we all agree uh, at this point in the pan? Can't we agree at this point in the in the quote pandemic or the event or whatever you want to call it right now in August of 2022 that we no longer need to be in in that panic state uh, that perhaps people were in two years ago? That we can step back now and do the studies that should have been done from the beginning. 
as I've said many times, yeah. there's a reason yeah. the average vaccine well, I mean, takes six to eight years to come to market. Why, why are we still encouraging giving vaccines to pregnant women, lactating women, women of childbearing age when these questions remain? Let's, let's call a moratorium on it. Let's take the 24, 36, 48 months that it will require to do these studies. What is the panic now? We aren't in, right. you know, March of 2020. So I would say, okay, maybe we don't have the data, but let's let's put it on ice right now, you know, step back and do the studies. There, in my mind, the idea that Dr. Fauci is out there as of you know today and yesterday still saying, you know, the problem is you haven't been vaccinated and you haven't, you know, embraced vaccination and you you haven't been willing to to roll up your sleeve. I don't see how that is justifiable, given where we are right now with the current variants, the very, very mild symptoms that they cause. And the fact that the vast majority of people, probably 90 percent of people have already had and recovered from covid and therefore have some level, at least of natural immunity. I, I would I'm trying to read some you. of these yeah I'm, I'm trying to read some of these studies in real time that people are bringing in they're they're all very convoluted the data they look at right, is very, very kind of yeah I, I really are you still you on Twitter Drew yeah. um we lost our Twitter spaces feed so oh we did yeah so I'm trying to send everybody to watch on the live stream they uh, might have but, but, they, but, but Naomi why don't we just tweeting. why don't we just you know, why don't we just tee up the, the nah, studies, the scientific studies that should be done um, to actually mm -hmm. evaluate uh, whether or not these, that each component of these vaccines, whether it's the nanoparticle component, whether it's what I brought up mm -hmm. before that it has related to that Syncton 1 protein, um, whether it's right. the mRNA itself, uh, whether it's the polyethylene mm -hmm. glycol, uh, lots of things to parse out there. Uh, what is it that people are so afraid of? We aren't in a panic any longer. You know, I, I hear you. I guess what I would say is um, a lot of those studies have been done. I mean, again, this, this study from 2018 that showed that lipid nanoparticles negatively affect male and female reproduction, that, that's, that's done. They knew that. Pharma knew that. I guess the other thing I would say is that I'm in touch with a lot of doctors. I mean, I love, I love the, the, you know, hopefulness of and faith in science and medicine of what you're proposing. Of course, it should happen. It shouldn't be difficult. Here's a cohort of unvaccinated women. Here's a cohort of vaccinated women. How are their babies doing? How are their pregnancies? Um, you know, double blind. I mean, this is the mm -hmm. classic mm -hmm. kind of study that should be done. However, um, I am in touch with so many obstetricians who talk to me in whispers. I mean, the, you know, some of the obstetricians on our team right. and gynecologists won't even publish under their own names because they've been threatened by licensing boards, if they even tell their patients to wait, or that they even try to, as one told me, even if I give parents informed consent, um, I, I got fired from my hospital. I hear that constantly, or I'll lose my license, I'll be delicensed. Um, and, and it's really happening. So, and in fact, there's a bill in California to, to, uh, to, to I think, charge or bring civil, um, some sort of punishment against doctors for uh, not adhering to the party line about vaccines. So I, I love your faith in our public health uh, and, and medical establishment, but they, it, they've been thoroughly, thoroughly corrupted because right now, everyone, no, I think, every, yes, I, it, you know, 
ACOG should call a halt, of course. No, and, and I, th- I think you've mis- mis- yes, I think I think you've misunderstood what I said. I have zero faith in the system. Uh, I have I have absolutely zero faith in the system. I think it is corrupt as all get out. We should disband the FDA and the CDC. They are participant in uh, this absolute debacle, and the they have blood on their hands. Um, I'm saying that the right thing to do, if these were true scientists, would be to stop right. these right now, given that we are out of the fog of war, as, as Drew likes to call it, and do the proper studies. They won't. I agree with you. I brought, as I said, to this very program, the information about lipid nanoparticles. It's been well known. This is not new information. There are studies going back well more than a decade. Um, the polyethylene glycol issue was a concern again from the very beginning. It's a very, very common uh, allergen. Many people have a, a flat out allergy to polyethylene glycol, let alone the fact that it crosses all of these different uh, protective barriers. So uh, don't get me wrong. I have huge concerns about this. And someone needs to answer the question, why are birth rates down really across the globe and more so in heavily vaccinated populations? Uh, You know, is it global warming? Uh, Is it, uh, was it the stress of being home with your kids for two and a half years? I don't know. But generally when people are locked at home and unable to do other activities, birth rates go up. Turns out in bad winters, when people are locked inside, the birth rates go up normally. So I would love a credible explanation for why it is that birth rates around the country are down. Um, so yeah, yeah this, is not, this is not faith on my part. I, uh, I have zero faith in the system. I understand. Thank you for, I, for I, clarifying I am, and I'm on the same page with that. I got to say, I'm a fan of the CDC. I'm not a fan of the way they uh, presented their material during this pandemic. I think they were adulterated in some way, and I'm sorry to have seen that, but uh, I do not want them disbanded, nor do I have any quarrel with the FDA, except for the fact that they don't seem to be doing their science quite the way they've always done it. Uh, They, too, have been sort of affected by these extraordinary circumstances, so I'd like to see everyone return to the mean of where they were functioning the way they always have, and all of a sudden things were not the way they've always been. Um, and, and personally, I, I am not as concerned about the nanoparticles because literally billions of people have received this vaccine. And the only signal I see other than menstrual irregularities is uh, pot syndrome and cardiac pathology. And these things worry me greatly, oh. but I think that's more related to the spike protein, but go ahead, Naomi. I mean, yeah, I, I just want to jump in. I mean, I will gladly send you the 30 plus reports, um, that, that will worry you. And, and I guess what I also want to say again, very strongly as a woman, as the mother of a daughter, stepmother of a stepdaughter, is that the, you know, the, the menstrual dysregulation isn't just about menstruation. It's about your, your whole hormonal equilibrium, which affects your endocrine system. It affects your mood. It affects mental health, anxiety, heart palpitations, blood sugar levels. Um, and again, Dr. Fleet just did a presentation on this right before I, I came on board. And I've been waiting to see that because I know that you know, if, if your menstrual cycle is dysregulated or you're passing giant blood clots or you're in agony, and I've heard these stories from hundreds and hundreds of women by now, right? That's not the only thing that's happening to you. Also, your mood is affected. Your libido is affected. Your sense of hope and well-being is affected. So just as a woman, I'm trying to kind of, and I, this will be the end of what I, I will, you know, emote about, but we are not um, disparate systems 
uh, even though disparate kinds of doctors treat us. We are one system. And I found this very deeply when I looked at my book, you know, the research for my book on female sexuality. If you disrupt women's menses to this degree, you're disrupting every other aspect of their lives, anxiety, depression, mood, energy, appetite, weight gain. And why ruin women like this? Why experiment on women like this? Pharma has brought us, you know, uh, uh, estrogen levels that are too high, silicone breast implants that are dangerous, vaginal mesh, you know, the, the Tuskegee experiments. I mean, we we know what, what pharmaceuticals have done in the past to women. It is not always benign. <clears throat> Pardon me, thalidomide. <clears throat> so now, you know, where are the feminists who care about women's health, except for Dr. Victory, which I'm, you know, God bless her and a handful of other women uh, and, and doctors um, who are saying when you hurt women's menses, when you hurt their gestation, when you hurt their babies, you're hurting women as a whole as human beings. I was just, you I read my no mind, argument. Naomi. I was just, I was just about to bring up thalidomide, um, mostly because to push back on the idea that it, it takes time, unfortunately, to uncover and understand some of these, uh, negative ev events. If we had studied, uh, tobacco use, for you know, 12 months or 18 months or 36 months, we would never understand the connection between cigarette smoking and lung cancer. It takes sometimes many, many years, decades to make those connections. Thalidomide, very much. This was, you know, thalidomide was rolled out to women, uh, not out of malfeasance, uh, but it ended up causing devastating impact to fetuses. Um, these things take time. There's a reason, as I said, that the average vaccine takes six to eight years to come to market, if it ever makes it at all. Many of them don't ever cross the finish line or they don't for certain groups of people because the data are not compelling enough with regard to safety and efficacy. And when you do that risk benefit analysis, it just doesn't fall on the side of using something not yet proven on a group of people who are not at risk. Um, furthermore, let's talk a little bit about, we're talking about current pregnancies. We're talking about women's um, you know, reproductive systems being disrupted right now in the moment, current menstrual cycles or pregnancies that are in utero currently. Let me, let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on downstream reproductive impact. You've got a 13-year-old girl, you know, a, a nine-year-old girl, uh, you know, whatever it is, boys too. We, we know that the, the testes are also impacted. What is your research leading you to believe, if anything, with regard to future reproductive health in kids, for example, who are receiving the vaccines? Yeah. So uh, such an important question, Dr. Victory. And um, you know, really bad things. I mean, one thing I want people to bear in mind is that every woman and every little girl and every, you know, female fetus only has so many eggs, you know, only so many ova in, you know, that she's born with. And, and it, unlike males, you know, we don't make more and more and more ova. So if lipid nanoparticles are, are you know, gumming up or impairing, you know, as well as the spike protein in the mRNA, different doctors are worried, I mean, the dissident doctors are worried about different things most. I happen to lie awake nights worrying about lipid nanoparticles, as you do, it seems. But, you know, if, if, if those are gumming up the ovaries, which are an egg factory and a hormone factory, um, that that's that, right? And you might have a healthy baby the first time around, but after three or four boosters, 
with that accumulation in your ovaries, you might not be able to conceive or your baby might not be okay or your eggs might be damaged. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is that Dr. Chandler um, and Amy Kelly, who's the project director, um, Amy Kelly has a new report up about where these materials go based on the Pfizer documents in the testes. And this is why I believe that pharma going after little baby boys over six months old, little boys and teenage boys is is so criminal because she's found that these materials, of course, lipid nanoparticles turn the human body kind of into a sponge, right? It makes the human body kind of permeable as we've been discussing. And so they get into the testes, but they don't just get into the testes. Um, and andrology, as I mentioned earlier, showed, you know, sperm motility and sperm count depressed. That's established. But they do worse things for little boys and baby boys. They get into the epididymis and they get into the cells um, that that create basically masculinity itself. So we don't know if those little boys are going to be able to grow up into men with normal male secondary sex characteristics. It's a massive experiment on the gendering of, of males, um, as well as a massive experiment on the reproductive capacity of females. And I'll just say um, again that, well, my research found, and this is a really important finding, I think, and you can read about it on my Substack um, in an essay called Facing the Beast, that BioNTech partnered with Fosun Pharmaceuticals in Shanghai, which is run by the CCP. Fosun Pharma owns a a major chunk of um, of the, the Chinese Communist Party state pharmaceutical company, Sinopharm. Fosun Pharma created a billion injections. Where did they go? Because China isn't using these particular injections. Well, I wasn't surprised to find that in 2021, Fosun Pharma USA launched with a manufacturing facility in Boston, Mass, and another one in Princeton, New Jersey. So now in 2022, when you get a Pfizer injection, you're actually getting an injection whose manufacturing and distribution is overseen by our existential adversary, the Chinese Communist Party. And they've been these scientists overseen by the Chinese Communist Party back to 2018, 2019, have been looking at the negative impacts on human reproduction of these materials. And the last thing I'll say is in the Pfizer documents, I mentioned this, the vast majority of adverse events are in the United States. Second largest group are in Western Europe. All the other 56 countries combined add up to a small tranche. So this is my conclusion that this is aimed not at our generation, Dr. Victory, not at, not at you know, grown-ups, people who've already reproduced. It's aimed at our daughter's generation and it's aimed at our grandchildren's generation. And there's going to be uh, you know, permanent harm to sterility in in North America and Western Europe as a result of these injections, based on the evidence. Well, now, I hope that now you now you've given me something else true. to keep up. With. Yeah, you've given me something else to worry about <laughs> at night. Overnight. The idea that these uh, well, that the idea that these things could could create uh, increased gender issues or, or foment gender yeah, dysphoria yeah. or whatever. Well, else. That I mean, is you the could, last you thing. look. 
<laughs> you need to go no further than than uh, what we know about plastics and what that's doing to uh, male right. male um, biology. There's a book called Estrogen Estrogen Nation. If you want to freak yourself out, guy is a well established scientist. Estrogen Nation talks about how that's affecting you know we, sperm production is down, testosterone levels are down in this country. They just are, and whether it's well, this or estrogen, that is true. But, but let me let me I want to I want to put two things in context. Really important to contextualize all this stuff. Lipid nanoparticles, I understand these are these are constructed, engineered lipid nanoparticles, but lipid nanoparticles are a normal part of cellular physiology. Cells create lipid nanoparticles. That's what cells do. That's how they send things out into the bloodstream. That's how they, I mean, in a way, you know, LDL is a lipid nanoparticle in a sort of a way. But the, these things are constructed in normal physiology. The other thing, just a quick, a quick lookup of abnormal menses, uh, the NIH has it as 14 to 25% of women routinely have abnormal menses, two a month, no problem. That's normal for those women. And half of no women who exercise, <laughs> hang, hang on, that's just, that's normal for them. And half of, and half of women who exercise vigorously have menstrual irregularities. So it's really easy to induce menstrual irregularities, my point. And many women live with non, non-routinely cycling. That's just so common. I mean, I've seen it you know, more times than I can count. And that's just how that per woman's body works. Well, as you and I, I have talked about this, Drew, in the past, that the that the, these the incidence of some of these things is out there. I mean, there's no question somewhere in the range, probably of eighteen to twenty percent of all pregnancies end in spontaneous miscarriage. True. Uh, also many true. times yeah. before women really even know they're pregnant. So I'm not suggesting yep. that that every single miscarriage in a particular study or that, that Naomi may have looked at is related to the vaccines. The issue is really the inconsistency with which we apply our concern and our outrage about things. I mean, you, you can't get a package of peanuts on an airplane now because some kid might have anaphylaxis if, you, you know, if somebody ate rose up, ate a peanut. Um, you know, but but we can give vaccines to women who are pregnant or of childbearing age. And then if a couple of them end up having a miscarriage, we're supposed to believe that's no big deal. Um, I, I just, I see an inconsistency about it that I find very, very troubling. And it begs the question of mm -hmm. what's the motivation behind the people who are driving this. And I think that's really what we got to get down to is what's the motivation? What's the hurry to keep injecting pregnant women or young children, prepubescent children with these vaccines that have not been adequately tested. Naomi, your turn. Uh, are you asking me, Dr. Victory, what I think the motivation is? I'm you a chance. Or, or, yeah. or, or yeah, or what yeah. you think about that. You know, what is the motivation? Well, you know, in the SEC filing for BioNTech for 2021, there's 100% accomplished tech transfer to China. It doesn't say to a Chinese individual. It doesn't say to a Chinese company. It says to China, 100% tech transfer. Um, so BioNTech makes these injections, as I mentioned, for Pfizer. I'm a tech CEO. Uh, I understand that language. 100% um, tech transfer could mean IP. So the ingredients, which, by the way, are really hard to find, you still can't open a package insert and see what you're getting injected into you or into your pregnant self. Um, it could mean a manufacturing process. It could mean data that's being harvested through the process. Um, it could mean something that of which we're not aware. But I can't stress enough, and I know you guys are, are doctors, and I'm not a medical doctor. I'm, I come from the world of 
geopolitics. I advised a presidential campaign and I advised a vice president. Um, I was married to a White House speechwriter. Um, I'm now married to a, a former special operator who spent 12 years in military intelligence. So I I see things geopolitically. The motivation is that our enemies want our land and want our water and don't want our population. And and China has made no secret of its uh, interest in being the world's superpower by 2049, which is the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Revolution. And the way they're going to do it, according to their own white papers, is by hegemonizing, meaning becoming the, the sole kind of arbiter of the world's health. And um, they anticipate a world in which people are struggling with their health. Uh, and they, they wrote that white paper before the pandemic. So I see that we are at war and or war has been waged against us. China, the Chinese Communist Party talks about unrestricted warfare, which um, they think is superior to kinetic war, meaning dropping bombs or invading with armies. And unrestricted warfare means subverting a nation without them being aware that they're subverted, disrupting their food supplies, disrupting baby formula supplies, disrupting energy grids, disrupting um, you know fuel lines or fuel supplies, uh, subverting uh, cultural institutions, um, buying off uh, elected officials, you know, all the way down to the local level. So I believe that these injections are systematic. Uh, other things we haven't talked about is how easy it is to kill people or hurt them based on things as simple as room temperature or um, dilution. Uh, and, um, and, and it's extremely scary to me that the boosters uh, we're being told we'll have to accept in the fall have 60 micrograms, which is double the adult Pfizer dose of, of act, active ingredients, double. Um, the Pfizer's own documents show that Moderna's 100 micrograms um, had to be abandoned internally due to its reactogenicity. And that's Pfizer's own words. It was too toxic. People who took Moderna, like my mom, who had heart damage, were not told, oh, you've had 100 micrograms. That's way too high, as we've discovered. That's more than three times Pfizer's micrograms. So don't have any boosters. They weren't told that. Um, so I think that we're at war. And I think that these injections are a super stealthy way to hurt um, Americans and, and hurt the West. And, and just because can, it hasn't happened before, like not it didn't happen a little, before. A, a little more about what you mean, what they have, what that white paper said about struggling with health. Did they specify what that meant? Um, I would have to check it, and I'm happy to do that and send it to you for for the chat. But um, basically, China, and this is why things like the partnership with the Wuhan lab are so important. Right. Or in Facing the Beast, I, I link to a study out of Hong Kong, um, I believe it's from 2017, in which, uh, I'm sorry, it's, 2000, it's 2021, so it's in the middle of a pandemic, in which uh, rats are being injected twice with the mRNA, the lipid nanoparticles, the spike protein, the first time they're injured, and the second time they're catastrophically injured. Um, and the second time, their hearts enlarge. You can see visible white spots on their heart. Their livers are damaged, and they have cytokine storms. So this is overseen by the Chinese Communist Party. All science in Hong, Kong, you know, in Hong Kong and in Chinese territories is run under the CCP. And to me, as a as a political consultant, this is clearly a a presentation of a way to kill or damage a population without fingerprints. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you, I can say, you know, truly, That's and we've spooky. talked about it quite a few times that the, you know, the VAERS system, uh, like it or not, the VAERS system was put in place by the CDC 24 years ago now as an early warning uh, sign. It was supposed to be the proverbial canary in the coal mine. It was the way the CDC said that individuals, practitioners can report something that might be an adverse event related to a vaccine so that they would have a heads up as early as possible that something might be going awry and that they should put a halt on or change their dosing or frequency or the people on whom these things were given. Yet they, for some reason, with these vaccines, have turned a complete blind eye to that uh, data. They not only haven't investigated it, they have ignored it. If you go back to to 1976 with the swine flu vaccine, that vaccine was Mm. pulled from the market after 25 deaths were attributed or potentially attributed to it, 25. We have tens of thousands of deaths that are potentially attributed to this, plus the leagues of adverse events. Uh, Drew is very interested, and as am I, in the cardiac events. Um, is certainly the study that came out of Taiwan, just, excuse me, Thailand, is what I meant, Thailand just recently, mm-hmm. showing 30% uh, cardiac events in children between 13 and 18 uh, following the vaccines. They are ignoring these things. And the data that you are presenting, Naomi, um, whether somebody, as I said, wants to parse the actual numbers and quibble with uh, how they were calculated, I haven't gotten into the weeds on those studies as you have, but I appreciate you bringing it out because it deserves deep analysis. It deserves that really deep dive. And it's, again, when you're talking about a group of people whose risk is so low, I just cannot see any justification for continuing to suggest uh, vaccination for these for these particular people. Right, right. I completely agree. And that that's where I'm getting concerned. And I and, and now oh, my dog is uh, somebody's home. Um, oh, I know. It's a UPS man um, at my house. Yeah, it's That's hard, my hard annoying to dog when you come home. But oh. but Naomi is you know p- pushing out some very challenging uh, sort of propositions, and this is what we're looking for on this program. We want we want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. We want to mm-hmm. we want to think about these things. We want to, you know, uh, Naomi could be right as likely as I could be right. There's no, no doubt in my mind that this is still a very fluid situation. It's interesting to me that. Um, by the way, people on Twitter were very good-naturedly putting out good articles, both uh, supporting what Naomi was saying and also taking issue with it. I, I tried to read quickly through some of the ones that I, I'd seen them before and read them very, very quickly, but they're, they're not great studies. There's not, there's not a lot of good study out there. As you said, there's no double-bind crossover randomized control study. There's nothing like that. There's just a lot of observational studies with lots of people being lost to follow up. And, and you know, it's in Norway, and it's, you know, it's... Hard to hard to even understand how they're doing the analysis. It's all it's kind of weirdly convoluted. Exactly. But in any event, yeah, uh, um, there in the New York Times, I guess I'm going to quote something for you guys that they came out with an article just recently, I guess, that was suggesting that there were adverse events uh, in pregnancy. That's from the New York Times. This is largest study to date shows how COVID vaccines affect period. That's New York Times. Also, New York Times. Uh, no, technocracy news. UK marriage, UK miscarriages rise 366% after the vaccine. And then uh, VARES is, we've already talked about that. But listen, um, 
I had reported, Drew, just to one add more one more piece. One more yeah. piece of data. Yeah. I reported before the, the DMED, the D- Defense Military Epidemiology Database that we talked about, they saw a significant increase in female fertility issues and miscarriage when they looked at the 2021 data compared to the average five years previous, 2016 through 2020. Um, they reported the same thing, a significant increase in uh, miscarriages and female infertility um, in 2021. We, we went way down the road of, of data, but I, I want to, again, emphasize that one of the things I enjoyed about your book was your story. Your story, and we didn't really talk about it very much, about, you know, your, mom's, have to come back. your mom's fear, your, you know, what happens, you know, when, when you talked about how you were slowly drummed out of your uh, peer group, and it really was a, uh, it, it was a chilling story, and it was, it, it, it's, it really... <laughs> highlight it was not fun but it also highlighted how crazy things were and uh that's what i really appreciated in reading this is sort of you when you go back over what we've been through in sort of a real-time account you you shake your head you go yeah i remember that oh my god and i do think that uh today specifically we will be able to be more critical of the vaccine because they're going to hang it on the Trump administration. I think that's, as you said, Naomi, that that's predictable. Well, then, but, but now we can talk about it. Right? There's the science but now we can talk it. about it. And so I, I don't care as long as we can talk about it. So, right. Um, right. but I, I'm also hearing during the show, I was getting a lot of tweets and texting and things. So I'm sorry if I was looking down a lot. Uh, somebody was texting me that uh, California is on the verge of uh, voting in the misinformation legislation. Have you seen yeah, that? That's what I was yes. trying to. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's struggling to. Yeah. That's, that may happen, so in which case we can't have, we're not allowed to talk amongst ourselves as peers at all. Period. Which, which by itself, which, which by itself crazy. should be the big red flag. That should make your hackles go up. Um, you know, robust, right. vigorous, respectful debate is the cornerstone of yeah. science. It's a cornerstone of healthcare. Yeah. Um, medicine is predicated on it. There are lots of questions in science for which we don't have answers. We better not have answers that can't be questioned. You're, you're but Naomi, so as always, right. thank I you. Mean, yep. Finish that thought, please. No, well, I- no, I was just going to say you're you're so right. If you look back at you know medical consensus around um, you know not washing your hands between providing services to childbearing women, or medical consensus around you know smallpox or polio or any of it, um, you know medical consensus around eugenics, uh, it, it changes and it changes because people can debate. So I just appreciate both of you for. Um, being open to a rigorous discussion. I really do. And I, I really appreciate having new friends like you guys um, <laughs> because it's a good to, to have open it's, it's a weird time. It's a weird time. And again, to even par- point at something more recent in our history, the, the opioid prescribing epidemic, that was, yeah. I was a lone voice against the establishment in that one too, and was threatened and threatened and threatened all kinds of ways for daring to be wow. opiophobic, everybody. Mm-hmm. That went on for 15 mm-hmm. years. It was a horrible, yeah. horrible pandemic brought to you by this profession. So if yeah, you don't think right. we can do nasty shit, uh, we're still dealing with it. Look out on your streets. <laughs> That's who's out there. We created most of that. And we were with Naomi all the way along from the beginning. She was writing the book while we were interviewing her along the years. And Drew, you got an acknowledgement. Oh, thank you, Naomi. Thank you for that. And I did. Oh, yes. Oh, how about that? There you go. Thank you. We appreciate it.
We love we love free speech. We want to hear your ideas. We're we, like we've said a million times before. Drew may not agree with everything, but he's willing to listen. Oh, now I I feel like I've got to represent a, a certain. I agree with you a lot more of, than anybody. A lot probably, of people do. So. Trust me. I'm watching the restream and the and the uh, Rumble rants. They they are they are appreciative of of this of the the ability to bring this uh, forward. We'll see. We will see. I, I mean, I, you've you've made me um, the hair stand up in the back of my neck with some of the stuff on China. Sorry. I'm not a doctor. It, it, I'm a historian, so <laughs> it, I, it it just makes it gives me goosebumps because yeah, me it too. makes sense, you mm -hmm. know, from a historical perspective. Right. You know, I hope you're war, wrong. I hope you're I study wrong. wars. That's what I did. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I want to hope that you're wrong because yeah. it's scary. But yeah. I, I hope I'm wrong. But sadly, I'll I'll send you the links showing I'm right. But you know, the good news is. Uh, I, I believe I in America believe. and I believe in our ability to turn turn this great ship around again. Guys, I have a, a chocolate cake that I should yes. frost with my steps. <laughs> go do it. Mommy. Go. Go do it. Thank you all so much. Go be Bye -bye. Thank you all so much. Take care. Good, Good to see you. Healthy. Thanks yeah. for being uh, here. Let's keep Kelly. Yes, thank you so much. Let's keep Kelly in here. So, God bless you know, her. That she was, to, a, that was she a lot. She has to defrost a cake. Uh, yeah. That was, no, she has it to, was she a has lot. Frost it, not defrost oh, it. Frost it, yeah. She, she's um, such a good mom. Yeah, that that was a lot. I I, I, I instinctively, I I don't, I can't co-sign a lot of it. I, I She may be right. I, I don't want to say it's wrong, but it doesn't, I don't see those signals clinically quite to the degree that she's ringing the alarm. I just, because I'm in the vaccine world, I'm giving it all the time. I see it all the time. I see who's getting it. Right. I, I'm just out there in, in the sort of clinical world. And it doesn't look, I mean, I have concerns, don't get me wrong. And I do think we rolled it out. Just all your all your stuff, I think, is spot on. But I, I don't know. The, the signals are not that strong. Maybe Maybe it will end up that way. I don't know. What do you say? I, I can't speak authoritatively about the numbers because I haven't gotten into the weeds on these studies on how many pregnancies ended up in a miscarriage or how many did X, Y, or Z, how many women have menstrual irregularities. I can say, you know, I've been concerned all along. I, I never believe that it's wise to be giving a therapeutic uh, to a group of people on whom it hasn't been tested. There's a reason we don't yep. do that because many times it yep. takes years, decades for you to find out of the problem. So just that the, the very nature of having done that, and I've said from the beginning, it's one thing Thing to have suggested, okay, we've never tested these vaccines on people in their 80s, you know, but they were in such a high risk category that you could make the yeah. argument, we haven't tested yeah. it, but if these people get COVID, they're going to end up, yeah. you know, in a bad way, they're going to die. In big trouble, That's yeah. very different. Exactly. So my real concern was with the lack of testing. So I can't speak authoritatively yeah. on the numbers she's giving. I do have, and you know, I had predicted, um, not because I have a crystal ball or because I'm prescient, I had raised the concern about this synced protein interaction uh, you know, a year and a yeah. half ago, simply because I that. understand yeah. the yes, science of it. And I said, you know, it just seems to me that somebody might want to yeah. look even at a Petri dish when you launch these antibodies on the spike protein Incidentally, do they also attack the same protein on a placenta? Just a thought. Maybe somebody yeah. will look at that. They didn't. That's concerning to me. And it's always concerning to me, Drew, when people in, the, in power want to shut down the discussion. That by itself, as uh, yeah, I said, that's, if, if you're yeah. not hiding something, 
why do you need to kick me off Twitter? If you're not hiding something, yeah. why does Naomi need to get, you know, slandered, uh, you know, and pilloried and, and, you know, and on and on. So it's that behavior that is very concerning to me. Yeah, it's it, it's what sort of instinctively leads me to want to mm -hmm. hear from the people who are who right. are being silenced. I want to hear what are they saying. There must maybe there's something mm -hmm. there. I don't know. Mm -hmm. The the other thing is um, what what I was what I was hoping to do in my pushing back with Naomi is you you know how this is Kelly when we read broadly in medical literature we have broad experiences in medicine and so we can contextualize some of these mm -hmm. things you know such as Naomi's great concern with the menstrual irregularities. Mm, not medically, not such a big deal. Don't disagree with what she was saying about right. you don't want it, and it's you know. It's, but but medically, you see a woman with menstrual irregularities, you're not going to send her to the hospital. You're going to go here, take the birth control pill for a while, get you back on cycling. We'll check you for endometriosis and ovarian cysts, and try to figure out exactly why this is happening. You've had it your whole life. Okay, you're probably going to mm -hmm. have it your whole life. Mm -hmm. That's just mm -hmm. the way it goes. Right. Uh, and, and so. Uh, and you know, it could be polycystic ovarian, you could a lot of stuff. So it's not, I'm not saying it's diagnostically null. I'm just saying these are common things and, and common things happen commonly. And you and I know that. And so we have that experience behind us. And it's so as, as we read the literature, it tempers some of our emotional response to it, I'd say. And that yeah, was just absolutely. trying to bring that to the conversation today. No, and, and I think that your word emotion, that's why I was saying I respect how yeah. passionate she is on this issue about childbirth yeah. and, and miscarriages and impacting women's bodies. But that emotionality can get in the way sometimes if people perceive mm. you as being an alarmist. You remember early mm. on during the vaccines being launched, um, I would get questions about things like, you know, oh, there's, you know, nanobots in there and, and nanochips mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. a way for the Chinese government to follow you and you're being tracked and there's this and that. Right, and I was right. constantly saying, no, I me mean, truly, Susan, I was constantly saying, no, look, there's a lot of things to be worried about about these vaccines, but being nano chipped isn't one of them. Yeah, you know, there was no, a lot no, of talk no. about this. <laughs> or you know, this, you know, this and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. You know, this graphene oxide <laughs> and other metal particles yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. on and on. Yeah, and yeah. so I think sometimes you get lumped in to one big category of a of a vaccine, you know, freak or a vaccine, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, who's concerned anti-vax or whatever they want to call you when, and so it's, we need to parse out what are legitimate medically based, scientifically based concerns. What are we doing in the way we've rolled these out that breaches our standard protocol, our mm. sand, standard mm -hmm. scientific yes. way yes. of doing things. And so all I'm saying yeah. is we've never done this before. Let's take a time out. What's the hurry? We have adequate time to test it on many mm. groups of people that haven't been tested on and find out. Maybe we'll come to the end of that and find out it's perfectly safe uh, for pregnant women. I would love that. But the studies yeah. don't show that to date. Well, it's interesting to me that every – I'm going to bet that every single interview we do, we're going to end up in the same spot, which is more science, please. They're really, yeah, we uh -huh. don't have enough science. No. And, and that's the weird behind the eight ball situation we're in clinically because that's not usually how medications and treatments are rolled out. They're rolled out when you right. have the science, not give me the science, please, so I can just understand what we're doing here.
So there and you go. And think about and it, I Drew. You know, the, they're, they're, I was stuck in bed for six months, and I would have just stayed home and forgot about it because there's no way I would have taken that injection. Oh, interesting. Go ahead, Kelly. No way. Right? No way. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, th there are medications. Let's think about it. There are medications and therapeutics, Drew, that actually make it through the mm -hmm. entire FDA approval process. By the way, these yep. vaccines not being amongst them. But think about drugs like Celebrex, drugs that make it to market, Cipro, that we use for years. And then decades after using them, we find out, wow, there's really bad, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find yep. a, an indication to give somebody ciprofloxacin right now because of the associated issues and problems with it, specifically with tendons uh, and, and ligamentous injuries. Same thing with Celebrex. Many drugs and therapeutics that actually make it to full FDA approval end up yeah. over time being linked to oh. really bad outcomes that make them get pulled from the market. So don't think for a minute that a vaccine that was rushed under good intentions, perhaps, to market, um, it was brought to market very quickly. Don't think for a minute that we might not find out down the road that there are wild, devastating things, things that I haven't even thought about yeah. or that we haven't talked no, about No, that's yet. right. That, that happens. And by the same token, I'm still angry at them being well, at least the court's doing this, but excessively preoccupied with risk with certain medication. Like I, I have patients that yeah. still not gotten over Vioxx being taken off the market. It was an exceptional right. anti-inflammatory yeah. anti medicine. I have people suffering to this day because they took that away. I should have been able to make a risk award analysis for somebody with low risk of coronary artery rupture. I should have been able to talk about the risk right. and do you want to take that risk and give the medication if I think that risk is low and worth it. But no, that was taken off the market because five people had a coronary event out of and, the many, many and, hundreds of thousands of prescriptions. And that is exactly my point. It's the inconsistency with the way we are approaching these things. It's the inconsistency uh, with which we have, you know, uh, our outrage about something, somebody having one bad effect, five people had a bad outcome from Vioxx and so nobody can use it. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, yep. we need to be more consistent in how we apply these things, you know, what, and so all I'm suggesting is that we go through really the rigorous, you know, you and I are both fundamentally scientists. Uh, we observe things, we observe anomalies, we observe yeah. patterns, uh, and we are wedded to and obligated to follow a certain standard protocol with regard to our scientific uh, methods. And, and I don't see yep. that happening with these vaccines, or frankly, not just vaccines, with the therapeutics in general. Uh, this entire pandemic was unusual. Uh, that's the least I could say about it. It was, yeah. un they, it was unusual with regard to this overwhelming uh, therapeutic nihilism, the fact that we were not allowed to talk about safe and effective and right. readily available drugs and could only wait, or, or you know, hide in the basement, and, you know, yeah, yeah, hide in the basement, bathe yeah. in Purell hide and hope basement. to heck you can get a vaccine. That was their prescription. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just was thinking uh, today, I was trying to get the footage of me begging Mayor Garcetti here in Los Angeles to stop saying shelter in place. Because back in the, the spring and summer, I was saying that he was saying mass deaths, right. no hope, shelter in place. That's what right. you say when a nuclear freaking warhead exactly. is headed towards a city. And, <laughs> yep. and I just kept saying, you are going to harm people with that. Would you please right. stop that rhetoric? Uh, um, one hey, last Drew, thing. Yeah. We should plug uh, the book because we didn't do that when she left. Naomi's book? Yes. There it is. Bodies of Others, recommend it most strongly. 
uh, again, what got me, you, you heard that she reviews a lot of the data in the last third of the book, but what, what lit me up in this book was the chronicle of her dealing with this thing as it went down and her using that good head of hers going, what's going on here? Why are we doing this? I don't understand. And she has a website too, right? For the book? No, like where you can find her. She has that uh, that web company that looks like dailycloud.io. Dailycloud.io. And before we wrap this thing up, Kelly, back to your psychology degree. Were you a cognitive psychologist or what kind of psychologist were you? I don't clinical know. Clinical psychologist. Part of your life. I was a clinical clinical but, but, psychologist. And I and I actually were you worked in, in were you in a certain system. field? Oh, in the prison well, yeah, system. Yeah, oh, I, I worked. I worked with uh, with adolescent deviants. Uh, I worked in a in a <laughs> maximum security. At, yeah, <laughs> I, I was a liberal back then. <laughs> no, I actually really. I always. I actually believed. Uh, I was young and impressionable, and believed that uh, I really could make a difference and change these sociopathic uh, behaviors. And and I, there's not a shred of evidence that we can change psychopathic or sociopathic behavior and I've learned that and I left immediately and became a trauma physician and said I'm not going back but it was <laughs> I did 10 to 20 in eight hour shifts uh, for some years in the prison we need to do a whole show on that that's, wow. that's interesting yeah. I didn't even know we that about you some <laughs> well, we could. I mean, between she and I, I mean, I spent 30 years working in a psych hospital and I saw a lot of wild stuff and I've got some strong opinions about things as a result of spending all that Get time James there. Fallon sure in here. Yeah, maybe. I, it, it's more, <laughs> I don't know. We Let me think about how we could frame something. Um, get, off right, the COVID, so get off the COVID. Get off the COVID. Next Wednesday will be... Uh, Dig into Kelly's brain. Equally <laughs> concerning, equally um, uh, intense, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably may, maybe more so than all. Dr. Malone is coming in. Uh, I Again, I, I brought up the psychology. Ooh, he's got a lot of hair. I brought up the psychology thing because I wanted to... Uh, get into the mass formation psychosis with him and you, and maybe that'll oh, yeah. be a chance to do that because yeah. I, yeah. I, I, something like that definitely happened. And I'm trying, actually trying to get Dr. What's his name? Is Mazet, Mazet, something like that. Uh, uh, Matthias Desmond, Matthias Desmond, Desmond. Yeah, yeah. He's a Belgian, I believe guy. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying doctors to get him can here. remember all yeah. these big words and names. Uh, not so much I can't anymore. do Bodhikarian or whatever that guy's name. We're going to get him too, Jay Bodhikarian. Did I say it right? Who, who, I really think Jay is going to be the poster child for spell. how bad things got and how reasonable people were, were treated. Like he really is the most yeah. reasonable, yeah. professional scientist you know, I mean, it's just, well, yeah, well, you know, if people don't know him, you know, Ray Bhattacharya and, and, uh, Sunita Gupta and, um, Martin Koldorf were the three who penned, who authored the great Barrington declaration. These are all people, you know, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, uh, with storied academic careers. And they were pilloried mm -hmm. as, you know, quote, fringe physicians, fringe scientists, mm -hmm. uh, who were in, there was a, some kind of an anti-vaccine, um, manifesto and it was nothing of the sort. So I agree with you. Uh, Ray Bhattacharya uh, is one of the most tempered uh, and measured people I, I've ever known. Smart, and so reasonable. he would be, 
Yeah, smart and very reasonable. So we'll, we'll get them all in here and, and sound them out and sort of do a little postmortem, which, again, this should be something everyone's doing is looking at what happened and trying yeah. to understand it and trying to get exactly. different opinions out. And that's how we do things. All right, Dr. Victory, thank you so much for being here with us. We'll see you next Wednesday, Great. 3 o'clock. And bye-bye. Uh, and tomorrow we are going to be doing calls only. So there'll be a lot to talk about. And uh, we will see you then 3 o'clock tomorrow as well. Take care. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800 273 8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com slash help. Bye.